Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's Charity Stripe. It's free throws because they're free. Fisher, Tosopolis, DJ, Nikki, Snacks. Kreider is getting ready for his yearly calendar shoot. Very exciting to have Nick back getting going in the calendar calendar world. It was a side gig he had for a while, but now they're paying him the big bucks. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see this one, see what he has in store. He always gets creative with his yearly calendar. 2024 should be a big one for the snacks, man. Well, he uh, he used to just be a month. Like they would, yeah. they, would pe- they would peg him to be on, uh, typically it was December, it was around the holidays. But this year in 2024, we're actually getting a full calendar. He did do of, an Easter. All one, of though. Nikki snacks. He did. He did do an Easter one, but now you're getting January, February, March, April, May, June. I'm going to list out all the months, by the way. July, August, September, October, November, and December. Each mm. will feature Nikki Snacks Kreider. A few will have Bevo in there. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe Britt's getting involved in some of them. Like, we'll, well, the we'll wedding just have month. to see. The wedding month, like she might be in that there, you know, the wedding bells are sounding for Nikki Snacks in May. So that could be a time for the whole family that he's got cooking up over there yeah. to get involved. So I think we're really excited for that. Um, but in April, sorry, in March, we're gonna, and you know, honestly, in February with spring training, we're gonna be seeing, we're just going through the months here. We're gonna be seeing Shohei Otani in Dodger Blue. Um, I just wanted, you know, go back and forth on our reactions. We didn't even discuss the Soto trade yet, so we'll work that into the mix. Good for baseball, surprising. Like, was the maybe the deal, the number itself, was that surprising to you? Because I think ultimately we all knew this was a, a high, pile, high pile of a possibility that he was going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, I think last, last year we really felt that it made a lot of sense for him to end up as an L.A. Dodger. And as things progressed, as the season ended for the Angels, um, as the offseason started, I felt like they were always in play, but mm-hmm. maybe it got backseated a little bit. Um, you know, obviously the talk last week was the Blue Jays, right? We're, we're heavy in the mix. And I almost felt like it, it was a little bit of the, you know, Dame to Miami. And then all of a sudden he ends up in Milwaukee with the Bucks here. Ooh, okay. A, and and it it felt similar, but I but I know the stakes are much higher. I you know, mm-hmm. no no discredit to Dame Lillard. He's in my opinion, he's one of the the top fifteen players in the NBA right now. But Shohei Otani is outright the best player in baseball. Um, of course, he'll have to nurse the injury, and and he won't pitch this next year. But the following, he should be back in that rotation. But ten years, I mean, the murmurs were what six hundred. 620 million like the fact that it ended up being 700 um was probably the most surprising to me and the one thing i wanted to ask you is how long will it be until we get another contract in all of sports that surpasses this um great question the well first off the contract itself 
it's backloaded and the way the money is deferred that the Dodgers are only taxed as if it's a 40 or 50 it's still crazy 40 million dollar or 50 million dollar a year uh, contract versus a 70 million dollar a year contract so the Dodgers can still with you know all the tax laws can still operate without getting you know hit by the luxury taxes badly it, it's or, as te- it's all. as team friendly as a 700 million dollar deal can be it's like the Bobby Bonilla deal of our time. Some people were saying, but like, it's like a million fold. <laughs> like literally it gets such a ridiculous deal. Um, I don't know if we'll, I don't know if we'll ever see it because I don't know if, we, I mean, we will, obviously we always do have a player that comes along like this, but him being Japanese and having a whole nation and a whole sector of the world kind of behind him him having you know he's young he plays both positions exceptionally well he's a really good hitter probably a top five hitter in baseball and at times you know he's been a top five pitcher in baseball he's, he's finished fourth in the Cy Young in the years that sandwiched you know his his MVP years when he was a unanimous MVP in two of the last three years the middle year was him coming in second in the MVP when Judge had to go nuclear with 60 plus home runs and he finished fourth in the Cy Young arguably his best pitching year so this is a guy who really is as good of a hitter as he is a pitcher, which is saying something because uh, he's an MVP caliber hitter. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever see it in the, in the near future, just because, I mean, maybe a quarterback can get in there. Maybe an NBA player can get in there with the way the annual salaries work. But in baseball, $700 million is just so ridiculous. There's not many teams that can do that even. The cap, the cap teams like an NFL and NBA, you can't really do that. And MLB, the Dodgers could, the Yankees could, but there's so much on the Yankees books right now with Stanton, with Garrett Cole, with Aaron Judge. We'll see if they re-sign Juan Soto, how that all unfolds this upcoming year. I don't think there will be an extension throughout the season. I think he'll wait till the offseason. Um, and they still might go after Yamamoto. Um, but Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge, I think adding those two guys together almost like is, is just a hair above Otani, and that's the reigning Cy Young winner and the guy that won the MVP two years ago. So uh, Mets could, Cubs, I think the Blue Jays were in the 600 mark, maybe in the 700 mark, but ultimately he wanted to stay in Southern California. He really likes Los Angeles. We've been told he loves routine, uh, and he wants to compete. If the Angels were remotely competitive, he probably would have stayed in Orange County but they suck. So he didn't want to stay there. And they're a pathetic franchise. They should be trading Mike Trout. The fact, the fact that they're hanging on to him and letting his value continue to diminish because that's just the trajectory he's been on the past couple seasons is mind-boggling to me. They could have gotten something for Otani at the deadline. Now they lose him for nothing. Um, a complete waste. A complete waste of their initial efforts to sign him. Uh, obviously because they hadn't won anything. But from a Dodgers standpoint, it makes the most sense. You know, The Dodgers were going to go as far as they had to to sign him. Right. If they heard that the Blue Jays kind of vice versa, what we were saying the other day of like, okay, if all secrets were out and like, you know, certain teams were offering 450 and no one was going above 500, the Dodgers would have not gone above 500, would have capped it at 500. But I think, you know, the reverse happened when, okay, teams are going to 600, like the Giants, the Blue Jays are going to $600 million, which pushes the Dodgers up to $700 million. So I think that's how we got to that number. Um, and ultimately it's going to be worth it because even if he doesn't pitch this year, which he's not going to your one, two, three is bets Freeman Otani. And those three guys are proven with consistency. You know, you know exactly what you're getting with Mookie Betts. He doesn't have a bad season. You know exactly what you're getting with Freddie Freeman. He doesn't have a bad season. He underratedly had an exorbitant, he almost had 60 doubles last year. 
you know, Betts is a gold glove caliber player at two positions. Um, I think Freeman had 20 stolen bases. Otani's a 20 stolen bases player. And by the way, in the four hole, you have Muncie, who's home run or bust. And a lot of the times it's it's more so home run than bust. And then you have a guy like Will Smith. And then you'll have Gavin Lux back. So all of a sudden their lineup is, 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 is really, really, really not only just a top five lineup in baseball, but pushing the limits of an all-time lineup and an all-time one, two, three. Uh, especially I, I even and, said my, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Lux and then a guy like Outman, right? Like guys that are getting better too, that can like grow sure. into this lineup. I mean, the Will Smith thing is he's going to have his, he's going to have a career year. He's going to have his best year in, in the bigs. And he has been trending up the last two seasons as well um, to get mm-hmm. that kind of hitting from the catcher position I'll, always is something that you'll take. So I, you got three MVPs on your team. Your one, two, threes are, they're all MVPs. Like, and not only are they MVPs, but, you know, we're saying right now, Shohei Otani's best player in baseball. At a time, three or four years ago, Josh, you were saying that Mookie Betts was the best player in baseball. I don't think we've ever, like, made made a case or made a claim that Freddie Freeman is one of the, the best players in baseball, but he's certainly one of the best hitters in baseball yeah. and, and has been for the last seven years. If you looked at his last seven years in comparison to any other big that's out there, like, his his might take the cake. So, uh it is dangerous. And if you're the Padres and you just dish Soto and you were supposed to be incredibly competitive last year, I wish Nick was on this show. Cause I know he has a lot of thoughts. Um, and of course, you know, that's, that's the, the big rival for the, for the, uh, for the Padres. Like it's frustrating, you know, to see your, your crosstown rival, I guess not crosstown, but your, your just North rival do a, make a move like this. And if you're the, the giants too, you know, I felt like you were probably in the mix for Otani, right? It was a possibility and mm. you didn't make moves last deadline. You didn't end up with judge. You wanted judge. You didn't get him. So the NL West, the rest of them, you know, they, they have to feel um, a little perturbed, a little pissed, but they can't, it's not like they, they shouldn't have seen this coming. Right. No, I mean, this is exactly, this is what you prepare for. I mean, the giants, unfortunately, are always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, with these free agents is how it's been going. The Padres, they made their move last year with Bogarts. They went all in. Machado had a kind of a down year. Pitching was up and down. You know, Snell won the Cy Young and they had the best closer, but they didn't get what they wanted out of Musgrove and they didn't get what what they wanted out of Darvish and everyone else around, you know, those guys were were, were not good. Um, They had bullpen issues. And I think that's going to be an interesting point of contention for the Dodgers this season. Clayton Kershaw is a free agent. He has, has a shoulder injury. We want him to hopefully retire a Dodger, come back to the Dodgers, but the Rangers are eyeing him. He could go back to Texas and retire there where he obviously is from. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's, there's rotation questions, which, you know, underratedly, another, another underrated move was a four, a four year, $80 million deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks and Eduardo Rodriguez, who before getting injured was having a career year last year and he looks to be healthy. So that's another sneaky move. Now, uh, Kelly Gallon, obviously, and Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, for the snakes in Arizona, who just went to the world series, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to pitching and we could kind of, you know, you know, cater into this Juan Soto deal that happened for the Yankees. They gave up a lot of pitchers in the deal. They gave up three guys who, who threw some valuable innings. I mean, they weren't like world beaters last year for the, for the, for the Bronx bombers, but they were guys that pitch valuable innings. Michael King being the centerpiece of the, of the deal at 28 years old, shifting from the bullpen to the rotation for the Padres. Uh, it'll seem. And then they got their, you know, their number two prospect uh, from a pitching standpoint in Thorpe. 
the Padres did, and they got uh, Higgy uh, Higashioka as their backup catcher now, who's a really good number two backup catcher and could start some days. So I thought it was not an ideal return based off what they gave up the Padres. We've seen Mackenzie Gore be great. We've seen C.J. Abrams be great. James Wood and, and Robert Hassler are supposed to be pretty strong players uh, still in the minor leagues in the outfield positions. But, you know, again, the, the Padres need arms and they need guys with major league experience and with arms that they're going to be competitive. And that's what they got in the Juan Soto deal. Ultimately, the Padres went full lineup last year and it didn't work. The Yankees, to me, yes, the Juan Soto is unbelievable. He's a lefty. He's got power. He's got great on base percentage. Him and Judge, Juan Soto hitting two, Judge either hitting one or three, or however you, you know, Boone wants to position these guys. They still have lineup issues. There's still a lot of guys who are old. like you don't know what you're getting out of Stanton, uh, Volpe and Torres. We'll see um, how they you know continue to progress next year. I anticipate them progressing nicely. They brought in Verdugo, uh, who who could be a solid piece for them. But Rizzo's fine. Lemayhu over the hill. Um, and then from a bullpen standpoint, they still have some issues. They obviously have the Cy Young and Garrett Cole. But you go to Rodon, and you know who was hurt last year and didn't live up to the contract. Cortez, I think, will be back and strong, but they still have holes. Like I don't know if sure, they've done they're, enough. They're certainly not the most complete team in baseball right now. They're not yeah. at the top of my list of contenders going into next season. But this is one of the more exciting acquisitions that the Yankees have brought in in the last five years. That you know, isn't Giancarlo dealing with massive injury. I mean, this it's Juan Soto, right? I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking about two years ago. I was talking about the best player in baseball. Like people were crowning this guy at 21 years old, the best player in baseball, or at least one of the best hitters. And that kind of adulation that, that we poured on this guy. I mean, like he is, he's a big name and he will, will put people in seats. Not that they need any help with that at Yankee stadium, but like, as far as like, the Bronx Bombers getting another guy to add next to Judge to feel like the 2000 teams. Like, I I agree, it's not actually going to result in, on the field them getting to the World Series, but um, it will make New York baseball very exciting for the Yankees this year. Incredibly yeah. Exciting. Oh yeah, it's until be we fun. hit like the middle of the season and then they realize that they're not as good and then they get really really angry. That's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you know, you have to go through the rest of the division. Like, is there a lot like the, the lineup of the Blue Jays? You still have Bichette, Guerrero, Springer over there, uh, Varsho, and then they have a better their rotation one through five could, you know, go toe to toe with the Yankees. And then yep. you go to the Orioles, whose rotation is really young, and their lineup is, you know, one through nine really strong. Boston isn't great. They're competitive. The Rays always feel the really competitive team. And then the, the Rangers just won the World Series, and the Astros, I would still, you know, on a 26-man roster, take them ahead of the Yankees. And then even from a – like, yes, the, going back to the Dodgers, you know, and, and kind of tying all this whole baseball segment together before we get to basketball – Yes, their one through three is great. There's other guys in the lineup that are super strong. Bueller will hopefully come back to form for the Dodgers this season after missing last year. I still, and I, I the Orioles got Kimbrell, which was a nice, you know, stopgap to replace Batista while he's out. But I digress. The Phillies are still great. The Braves are still great. You know, those are seriously competitive teams that I, I don't know that the Dodgers, even with Shohei Otani, are better than. Like the Phillies by and large should have went to the world series last year. And they were a really strong baseball team without half a year from Harper, their best player and without Trey Turner, really turning it on until 
the second half of the season. So they've signed yeah. Aaron Nola. He's there locked up for long term. I don't think they're going to be done yet. They can't be if the Dodgers are going to make a move like that. They're going to have to make some kind of small moves. So it's, it shouldn't be written in stone that the Dodgers are going to make it to the World Series from the NL. And it shouldn't be written in stone that the Yankees are going to win the AL East. Completely agree. I'd actually, I don't know. I think I'd still pick the Dodgers to win the West. But I don't even I wouldn't pick the Yankees to win the East. I mean, this is so early, obviously, but and I certainly wouldn't pick either teams, I don't think, to make the World Series. Now, next year, when Otani gets back on the mound, that's a huge difference maker, right? And Massive. that's and that's why it's a 10-year deal, not a yeah. three-year deal. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. I I really I mean, unless something changes CBA wise in the NFL and the NBA, I don't think we're ever gonna see a contract like that in either of those leagues that's, no, that's like showbiz. No, you can't. Ten years is ridiculous. And that's that's what the beauty of the NBA then we can kind of get into our, our basketball chat. Like, you know, I I know we've complained about sometimes like so much switching teams and there's no loyalty, but at least that creates for a more interesting offseason. Like you know, somebody could always be on the move. You never really know what you're going to get into an NBA offseason. If there are not a ton of fireworks, it's almost disappointing in basketball. Um, all right, good for the NBA. How was the in- NBA in-season tournament? You could rate it out of 10 for me. And was it good for the NBA that the Lakers won? Um, sure, I think when the Lakers win anything in the context of the NBA, it's it's for the broad stroke NBA fan, for the league itself, it's always good when the Lakers win. Uh, doesn't mean that it's what I always want to see. Certainly mm-hmm. fun for LeBron's legacy in the first in-season tournament. He goes and wins MVP. Um, he has tremendous performances throughout the pool play and in the quarterfinals, semis, and in the finals of the, the in-season tournament. Although Anthony Davis was tremendous, put up had a 40-20 game. Um, Crazy. A little bit surprised, I guess, that he actually didn't win the award. I, I get why LeBron did, but like, you know, that type of game doesn't happen every night. Um, and certainly for a guy like Anthony Davis, who, even though they've won a championship and they won mm-hmm. in the bubble, um, he still has the same criticisms that we have had of him in the last three years where it's any given night, he might give you, you know, 18 and, and 12, but like he doesn't score in the fourth quarter or he has like mm-hmm. two free throws made in the fourth quarter. Um, which is okay when you're on a Lakers team that has LeBron and you want to talk about roster construction, like those two guys have now been on this team for what, five years, Mm -hmm. both of them together. So their core superstars have stayed the same and it's been the assembly of the other guys um, that have, you know, that allowed them to win the in-season tournament. Reeves had a phenomenal game um, in that final. Rui was really good. And now that he's healthy, now that Vanderbilt's healthy, now that, um, you know, once Gabe Vincent comes back into the lineup, like this depth that Polinka acquired over the off season, we can kind of see, and I was talking to one of my Lakers buddies and I was like, okay, so you used LeBron and Anthony Davis in the first quarter of the season in a way that you didn't want to. They didn't miss a game, either one of them, between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Davis missed a couple of games, but LeBron played in every single game. Hmm. They played way more minutes than you wanted. So hopefully now that the the others are back, quarter two and quarter three of the season, LeBron and Anthony Davis hopefully won't have to do as much, right? And can kind of rest their legs, maybe miss games here and there with some load management stuff. But the other guys can can kind of buoy you, keep you in the top six in the West, finish the season strong in Q4 of the NBA season, get that momentum with everybody playing together into the playoffs and still have Anthony Davis and LeBron with semi-full tanks going into the playoffs, which you have to have them. At yes. That level. Yeah. Agreed. I think they want to stay in the top six. And I think the West is very competitive. 
And yeah. so I think they're going to have to play more than they want. And obviously, look, it's LeBron James, whether you like it or not, or anybody likes it or not, is still the face of the NBA. So he was going to play in every game. He, the, there was, I'm sure, a tacit thing amongst the NBA execs, Adam Silver and LeBron James. Like, look, you, you have to help lead this NBA cup. It, it was imperative that he was a, a massive part of it. I think that's why the cup was successful. It got people engaged. It, it, the, the courts were bizarre and fun. The jerseys obviously were cool. Um, and it was good to see a team like the Pacers who are young and up and coming in the finals against the Lakers. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it's great for the NBA that LeBron James and the Lakers won because the media narrative now around the Lakers is either, okay, they're good and competitive um, or they're, or they're an NBA caliber NBA championship caliber team not so negative, not dissing them like it was at the beginning of last year, which I think can really engulf NBA chat as a whole and gloss over some of the good NBA basketball that's being played. Um, but, and again, I, you know, LeBron James, he looks as he, he doesn't look like he's 38. He doesn't look like he's in his 21st season or 39 or whatever he is. He, he looks young. He looks bright. Um, he looks like he's still a top 10 player in the league, clearly. And I, I think that he'll have to they'll have to play both those guys more than they want to. It's good that they have that depth. It's good that Reeves is kind of stepping up. It's good that D'Lo is playing decent basketball. Yeah, um, but they're gonna they're gonna have to play those guys more than they want to because being a top six seed in the West isn't a gimme like right now what is it who who's who are the one through the one through six are the lakers are the five okay yeah, the timberwolves are the one timberwolves are the one looks like it, russell wilson rudy gobert trades have completely those were talked about as being two of the worst trades in their respective sports histories totally different now the minnesota timberwolves are not only number one they're in, in the western conference they're the top defense in the league and you got to believe rudy gobert is a massive part of that thunder yeah. are the two thunder are the two i think you almost you did you have them at the two if you did shout out to you um i think i i think i did yeah, yeah i definitely nice. had the timberwolves in the top six and i think i had the thunder at two or three yeah yeah uh, your Mavs three, Nuggets four, the Lakers are five, tied with the, your Mavs and, and the Nuggets. So it's kind of a three way deal. The Kings are right behind y'all by half a game. I know it's early. We're you know only a quarter of the way through the season, like you said. But then you have the Suns, the Rockets, who are or the second best defense in basketball. He may putting his handprint on it. Um, the Clippers are the nine, the Pelicans are the ten, and the Warriors are the out on the outside looking in. Uh, two games under five hundred, you know. Really struggling both offensively, I would say, and defensively. They're a bit better offensively than they are defensively. But defensively, they're really struggling to find their identity. So that's 11 teams really competing for 10 spots. And it's, it's going to be a race for that top six seed, uh, especially with Bradley Beal coming back. And so a lot more parity in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. You know, who the, the Hawks are three games under 500, but they're the 10 seed um, over there. It always, it always seems to be the case. Uh, yeah, but yeah still, was, still so early, though. Right. I was happy to see the, yeah, I was happy to see the Pacers in there. And they, they're right now the Pacers at the, at the pace, no pun intended, that they're at. Um, they would be the number one scoring offensive team in the history of basketball. Does that warrant? I know we think Jokic is the MVP. I know the numbers that Luka puts up, uh, Giannis, you know, on the defensive side, obviously Embiid and LeBron. And those guys are seemingly always, and KD, who I've mentioned, seemingly at the tops of the MVP race. And Shea has that buzz of Tatum. Shea and Tatum and Ant Man have that buzz of people wanting them to take that next jump and get in there. But if the Pacers are a top five seed, and they set the record for most points per game in an NBA season by a team. Does that warrant Halliburton to be a top five MVP candidate? I'm not saying win it, but top, top five. Top five. And he, and he leads yeah. the league in assists. Yeah, top five. I think it warrants that. Now, I would say 
you you mentioned as one of the criteria being a top five team in the East. I think that needs to go up. I think they need to be like a top three team in the East, honestly, mm-hmm. um, because I think there are some heavy hitters at the top. And so yeah. the difference in those records, like it really matters to me. Um, but I, I mean, I would, I would challenge him being a top five with even just mentioning like Jason Tatum, like for Jason Tatum to win the MVP realistically, the Boston Celtics have to have like seven more wins than every other team in the Eastern conference. Otherwise I I can't evaluate him statistically and on the eyeball test. When I watch him in comparison to Joel Embiid, Luka Mm -hmm. Doncic, Nikola Jokic, like they're just those three guys and Giannis like are, are at a different caliber of player. They're at a different tier in my opinion. And when I rank my own personal top 25, which guys move all the time, the ladder gets shuffled. Jason Tatum never goes above Luka. He never even gets into that 1A tier. He's in the 1B tier. And he's gotten better every single year. And I think he can still get to that 1A tier. But right now, he's behind those four other guys that I mentioned. And I would even say he's he's still not as good of a player as Kevin Durant is. And look, we are just mentioning the in-season tournament. LeBron James, like when that guy wants to do it and needs to do it for his team, there's Take very yeah right like so even but even still lebron it, it, when you want to compare stats with joel Embiid, luka and nikola jokic it's not the same so i i love that path for halliburton i think he's been so impressive i think that that's another just bright spot for the in-season tournament was that more people got to tune in to pacers basketball and see what tyrese halliburton is all about they beat the Bucks. He does the Dame time. People are watching that game and um, we'll get even more excited about it. It generates the conversation of like, who won the trade between the Kings, right? Like we're, we're, we're back on that. Like they, they kept Aaron Fox, but they got rid of Tyrese Halbert. And, and of course, like there was the clip that came out where it was Tyrese saying all of the 12 or 13 guys that got drafted, these 12 guys that got drafted ahead of him. Right. And he's playing with, was he playing with oh, three of those? He's playing with Obi. He's playing with Jalen Smith, and he's also playing oh, with yeah. with Aaron Neesmith, who was taken right after him. him. Right. So they have four lottery picks on that team, which is interesting. And uh, it's all working, thing, though. Yeah, I, I, it is working for them. But I, as much fun as I had watching the Pacers, like they need to get to the second round in the playoffs. They need a seven game series where. Uh, you know, they get beat up and fight back and and show some and, and and get through adversity together. Like this team is still so young. They have a great coach who's been there, who's won a, an NBA championship, but they're still a ways away. Even if they ended the season with the three seed, I, I would say that I would label them at that point, like a bit of a fake contender. But like you're, if you're a Pacers fan, like that's totally fine. Like you're on the path. You're, you don't have to get there this year and, and make a ton of noise. But if you can get to the second round of the playoffs, it's a massive success for a guy like Halliburton, who in my top 25, I, I have him as my 12th best player in the NBA. And if a guy scores like he does, he pushes pace. He has that much of an imprint on the offense and he never turns the ball over. Never, basically. Like, it's hard not to. Um, I, think that's, the- I, I think that's, no offense, a little short, honestly. I think, I don't, he's he's 13th right now in scoring. He's first by a mile in, in assists per game. Right. Like you're saying, he never turns the ball over. He's shooting from the field 52%. From three, he's shooting 44%. And from the line, he's shooting 88.8%. Just bump so that up 2%. Come on, Tyrese. Like, so he's okay. So he's leading the league in assists. His tr- assist to turnover ratio is ridiculous. 
Yeah. Uh, he's got 27 points per game pretty much. And he's, he's teetering on the 50, 40, 90 club. Yeah. And his offense is record, which, setting. which maybe should just be 50, 40, 85 anyway. Like fine. Like that's, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I'm curious to see, like, do they have to make another move because they just don't have, they have a lot of really good players around him, but they don't have like a number, number two. I like them keeping healed. I like them keeping Turner. I think Jalen Smith is only progressing in a guy that you got to keep there. Obviously, you bring in Bruce Brown, who just won a title. He's there for a reason. Neesmith has progressed extremely nicely. The odd man out for me is Matherin, who is really good and strong and a guy that's like, you know, could be a core piece on a young team or a guy that not necessarily you could build around, but start game planning your future around. But I don't think he's a really good number two. And I think he can be upgraded. So that to me is a name that I think the Pacers also should in, consider. He's also in year two. My pushback there would be, I'd argue that he has the highest ceiling out of those guys. So if you want a guy that can become year two, like I trust Ben Matherin more than Aaron Neesmith becoming an all-star. Level oh player, yeah. hundred percent. Right? That's why I'm like, that's why I'm pushing to you. Like, yes, I, I trust him more wholeheartedly, but I think you can't upgrade him. Yeah, you could, if you wanted to quote unquote contend right now, um, then, then yes, I agree. I, I think that unfortunately you're right though. Like this team doesn't have enough star power for them to make like a deep playoff run. They have an yeah. identity. They play with pace, which is really hard to defend their high volume. Like they feed into what the modern NBA, what you want out of a team, right? They're the seven seconds or less sons. Like yeah, you, you blink in two seconds. Isaiah Jackson's got a layup because Halliburton pushed the ball up the sideline found him streaking up and like the defense, three of the players aren't even on their side of the court. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's how, that's how good this team can be. But in a playoff series where things can get slowed down, like I'm interested to see what it looks like um, when they play a team like the heat who man, they play at their own tempo. They will not push pace. If you try like same thing with the bucks, same thing with the Lakers. Right. And, and, and also like, if you want to go fast break, the fast break with LeBron James, he typically wins that. Uh, he doesn't mm -hmm. do it as much as he used to, but I, I think that this Pacers team is really exciting. And um, so are so are the Thunder, so are the Timberwolves. But I think the Thunder, the Thunder and the Timberwolves are a step ahead of the Pacers. Like it's great that they made the end season tournament, but I think they they also benefited because of the format because they can beat anyone on any given night when they're hot. But the yeah. rest of these teams, like the Thunder, are gonna. That those are the teams that I'm keyed in on to see, like, okay, how do they actually finish the season? If the Timberwolves end up at the one seed, um, with their defensive versatility, with their size, like they're a they're a tough matchup with anyone. With anyone. Yeah. They have well, they have like look, whether you whether you rank Shea ahead of Halliburton, Ant Man ahead of both of them, Halliburton first, like those three young guards are kind of like cancel each other out in a in a way. You know, you, you can't lose having which I have guys. I have Shea at the top of that pecking order and I have ant and then I have Halliburton. I'll just in the FIBA world championships, who did they give the ball to? They gave the ball to Anthony Edwards. He was by far the best player on the court. Halliburton was on that team and it wasn't even, a, it wasn't even a question. So, I love it. You're not going to get argument from me. Yeah. I, 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 my, yeah, it's, yeah so like, but they're all healing. tremendous talents. Like they're so good. Exactly. That's why I'm saying that they cancel each other out. So let's say they cancel each other out. Right. And we have an even playing field. The Timberwolves have Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert. They have, you know, maybe he's not a top 
10 player like we thought he could be, Carl Anthony Towns, but he's still a top 30 player. He's still unbelievably strong and versatile offensively, and he's now their number two in Minnesota. So they have those three those three guys. They have the defensive versatility from the other players that you're talking about. I mean, like, look, slow-mo has been great for them. on, a, yeah, on Anderson, on the Daniels, and they, yeah. And they have, like, a really good – Nas Reed, beast. Not great off the bench. He's a six man contender and they have a really strong veteran point guard, right? Who can take pressure off of Anthony Edwards from, from bringing, from bringing the ball and starting the offensive side and, and let him play off a little bit uh, in Mike Conley. And then from the thunder, you know, they're just really constructed so well, like Chet Holmgren, Homer of a pick. He's been fantastic so far. Um, yeah. Both the Williams guys can shoot, can shoot the rock. And, and, you know, you go around, there's just every time you turn, like someone's contributing on the Thunder. That's not necessarily Shea Gilgis Alexander. You know, you have, they have Dort, they have Isaiah Joe. Like, you know, he has games where he goes off. And it, guys can shoot around him, and and it works. Giddy, like, I mean, I know he's got some off the, the court issues, and he hasn't been as he hasn't been exactly what we thought he'd be, you know, based off what he was last year. But he's still young, and he's still progressing, I think. And I think, yeah. you know, once he gets past the off-the-court things, if he ever does, I think that'll be nice for him, you know, to continue to grow here. And Casey Wallace has been nice. So, like yeah. – I feel this a little team. bit about Giddy how you do about Matherin with the Pacers. Like I would say the Thunder are closer to contending than the Pacers are. And Giddy Oh, I don't Giddy, disagree at all. I mean, you could certainly find uh, I just it's it's sticky, right? Because it's like how who's gonna trade for him? What are they gonna give up? Can't, he's not he's can't not right tradable. Now. You gotta just that's like she, one of those. But by things. the way that he was playing, like he's the guy that you need to move because he, he needs the ball in his hands, but you'd rather have the ball in Shea's hands, you'd rather have the ball in J Dub's hands, who's been phenomenal and i would say like if you line those three teams up the thunder the timberwolves and the uh in the pacers i'd be hard pressed not to say that the second best player of the thunder is not better than carl anthony towns uh, honestly like j-dub and cat are pretty close they're pretty close not to mention that their third best player is chet who is by far the best third best player out of any of those three teams i know how tremendous gobert is but offensively what chet does yeah, I, defensively, like he's he's a phenomenal talent. I mean, there's he's he's number one on the rookie ladder right now for a reason, right? Ahead of Victor Wembanyama, and I yeah, but that's but that was my rookie something. of the that was my rookie of the year pick. Like I thought, like he Good was going to win the yeah. I, I look, it, I we've said it time and time again. Blake Griffin got to sit a year, get used to the NBA lifestyle, and then comes in and plays. Ditto with Ben Simmons. It makes a difference. Um, sure. It's almost I've, not fair. I honestly think they shouldn't be considered rookies. Oh yeah, like you want to be considered a rookie in the NFL, right? Right. So, like, I I don't disagree with you. I I would give you. I mean, we could break it down in, a, in another show. I would, you know, go Bear versus Chet right now. You know, Cad versus J Dub. But the fact that that's even an argument it shows, you know, it speaks volumes to the Thunder. But Giddy is not a good enough, not even close to a good enough three point shooter. And Shea's not a great three point shooter either. They don't take those shots. Like you can't have two primary ball handlers who don't rip the three. So I, I, I'm curious to see who becomes available. I talked to my old man who's a Knicks fan and my buddy, our buddy Jesse, our mutual friend, who's a Knicks fan about the Knicks going after Markin. And if he becomes available, I think that'd be a fantastic fit pushing RJ to the two. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, that, that's just the NBA takeaway. Um, quickly, let's, let's move to the NFL. Um, yeah. After a little NBA chat, give me your 
Give me your three takeaways so far NFL week 14. I know we have the Dolphins. I know uh, versus Titans and Packers versus Giants. And I'm sure we would have some nice takeaways from the Packers and from the Dolphins. Um, But from those two, from so far in week 14, what are your three takeaways? Yeah. um, Well, I would say one is that the, this is, this is the best NFC race we've had in quite some time. In my opinion, the the number one seed in the NFC being between the 49ers, who are, in my opinion, outright the best, the best team in football when healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eagles, who went to the Super Bowl last year, who have Jalen Hurts on their team dealing with two new coordinators, right? They don't have their O coordinator from last year. They don't have their D coordinator. It's definitely showing in certain ways. I think they've won uh, eight of the games that they've won have been by a score less. So they're in a a little bit, you know, they're kind of the Vikings last year, although like we know that they're a serious Super Bowl contender because they've been there before. Mm -hmm. Um, and because their, their defense up front is really good. Their past defense has been terrible. And then Mm -hmm. you've got the Dallas Cowboys who deep in the season, this is the best Cowboys team I've seen in probably the last five years, Uh, realistically, like 10 years, 15 years. Like I could keep going back. I, I don't yeah. know if I've ever felt the confidence level as a Cowboys fan in our team this late in the season, 13 games through, you know, we've got four more, we've got some tough opponents up on our schedule. We play the bills. We, we play the dolphins. We play the lions who the lions have been, uh, they've been, eh, they've been wishy-washy lately, right? They lost to the bears in a, in a bad loss. I would say good loss for Justin Fields if he wants to stay in Chicago, but um, I, I just don't, that's, that's my first takeaways, the NFC race for the number one seed, uh, I don't think has ever been this important. Um, and this type. Yeah, I would say that's a great, cause one. I, cause I think like the Eagles are leading the NFC East, right. And their last four games, they play the giants twice and the Cardinals once, and then the Seahawks, so they could go four and oh, like, but the Cowboys beat them last night. The Cowboys almost beat them at the link. I think the Cowboys are the better team right now between those two squads, um, which is not something I've been able to say in the last four years. So uh, it was a huge win for for Dak, and he's playing the best I've ever seen from him. By yeah, time. I would say uh, I could piggyback off your takeaway with one of mine. I, I would say the two best teams, mine was the two best teams reside in the NFC. I yep. love the Ravens. I like what they have to offer. They just like, I don't know. It's just never – not that well, not some, well no Andrews. Had, they don't have Andrews now. They have no Andrews. They they've had dominant wins. I don't want to say they don't have dominant wins, but the games are always, I feel weirdly tight. They're always kind of sometimes slipping by. Like it was really exhilarating and exciting that win in OT versus the Rams, but they are a better football team than the Rams. And they should have and, and they should have proven that at home on Sunday. Um, so I'm not as confident in the Ravens as I am the Niners or the Cowboys. Those are the two best teams in my opinion. I thought the I think the Eagles are trending down at the wrong time. You know, a couple bad losses to the Niners and to the Cowboys, respectively. Um, I love that. When I saw like, the line for the Cowboys minus three at home, that was a gimme pick. There was a couple of gimme picks I found yesterday. I actually wanted to say to you that, and I could give this my second takeaway, was the most confident personally I felt from a betting standpoint yesterday. I saw the Cowboys line at minus three, and immediately I'm like, okay, this this Cowboy, the Cowboys are going to cover. 
because you know Vegas is is begging you to take the Eagles plus three. And I saw reactions when we were discussing it. That's what everyone wants you to take is the Eagles money line or the Eagles plus three after coming off a loss to San Francisco after beating Dallas at the length. But when truth be told, the Cowboys are playing their best football. They could beat you any which way they want to. They went toe-to-toe in a shootout versus the Water Falcons, and they had a really strong defensive game and capitalized on the mistakes of the Eagles last night in, in Sunday night football in prime time. They really beat the shit out of them. You know, that was just, it was just the truth. They beat the shit out of the Eagles. Well, a lot of we, gave him a, we gave him a gimme touchdown too. that strip sack to Jalen Carter might've locked yeah. up the defensive rookie of the year award for him, by the way. So he looked I nice think it was moving just, down the field. Yeah. I think it was just maybe a little bit of a gift from Dak there to be like, Hey, take this, take this award rook. There you go. Yeah. And then, yeah. But I, when I saw the jets, uh, or plus three at home, and people were like, the, the narrative was like, oh, the Texans are only minus three against the Jets. I'm like, okay, the Jets are going to take care of business in that one. I saw the Bills plus one and a half on the road versus the Chiefs, which is just simply begging you to take Kansas City. So I, I had the Bills yesterday. Um, I, I thought it was a really easy betting day uh, yesterday. So that, that was that was a little fun for, for those who throw some cash down. Um, but I would say my final takeaway is the quarterback play is so sus that from an NFL draft perspective, the the Bears have to stick with Justin Fields, and they should be taking Marvin Harrison Jr. at the first overall pick, or they should be trading that draft pick. Nothing in between. They could maybe take one of those tackles, Fashanu from Penn State and Joe Altu, who are AP All-Americans, uh, respectively, from Notre Dame, but they should be taking Marvin Harrison Jr. or trading that draft pick. Justin Fields has done enough. You can't look at the rest of the league and be like, okay, uh, I'm down to run the risk with the way the quarterbacks are being developed, with the way that some of these guys are being rushed into play. Like, look at Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson literally, realistically, should have been carrying the clipboard last year, the year before that, and just playing this year for the first time. Not been thrust into the fire. He had his best game by far in a way ever. Look how successful Jordan Love is. We'll see how he goes against the underrated Giants defense tonight. But he's been successful after carrying the clipboard for what four years, three years. So. The way these guys are, Bryce Young should not be starting in this league. I don't care if he's the first overall pick. It's evident. The way the quarterback play has been this year, even with guys like Mahomes, guys like Josh Allen, who gets, you know, Orlovsky dick rides him, Greenberg dick rides him, but he's a lock for a turnover every game. And to me, you can't be the best quarterback in the league if you're turning the ball over automatically every single game. That's just a no-go. Um, you got to stick with Justin Fields and, and really continue to try to build the team around him. So those are my three. Yeah. Um my my other takeaway is based off of that Kansas City and the Buffalo game, but Mahomes is in like he is now entering prime LeBron between the ages of twenty eight and thirty two, like level of superstardom in the way that he gets treated and also the way that he feels that like the outcome of games like that he should always be given a chance that he should mm -hmm. always be given that foul call that like looking at like LeBron used to be one of the worst of this. He's not bad at it anymore. He used to, he used to be Luca level. Look at the refs. He used to be Tim Duncan level. Look at the refs after every single play hands up yelling in the refs ear, always in like, not in a way where he was like aggressive about it. Right. He always like kept himself composed. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this is probably like the most unhinged we've seen. Mahomes at the end of that game but and it's not even necessarily that like I dislike it um I love when guys get fiery and I love when guys get after the refs because you know it's it's a tough job to be a referee but oftentimes they can be wrong about things um mm -hmm. in this particular instance they were not um Kadarius Tony has to check with the ref it's Andy Reid is not owed a check by by the referee uh no. 
the referee mentioned post game that he couldn't even see the ball. So if you want to, like, he couldn't see the ball from the sideline, the sideline judge. So yeah, clearly Kadarius Tony was in the way and he was lined up in in the neutral zone, which is an infraction. They've they've yeah. given this penalty eleven times this year in comparison to I think twice last year and two years ago it was one time. So they've made an mm-hmm. effort. The league has communicated that to teams. It's mm. unfortunate. It was an excellent play, um, but he was offsides, and that's yeah. the rule. So I, but all that to say, like Brittany Mahomes putting it on her Instagram story, like Patrick in the post game being really, really frustrated. Like, lest we not forget, and a lot of people are pointing this out. Like they got a very favorable defensive holding call last year when they were in the Super Bowl when the game was 35-35 with a minute and forty seconds left against the Eagles, which is one of the most ticky tack calls. I have seen in a long time on uh, I think was it was it Jack who was it that was in the on the outside I think it was uh, Bradbury it was James Bradbury mm-hmm. who got who got called in the, in that Super yeah, Bowl yeah. between the Eagles and the Chiefs gave him an automatic first down they ended up winning that game because they because they got the automatic first down that play was on third down so they would have had to kick the field goal get the ball back to the Eagles give them a chance so it's it's not like the Chiefs don't get favorable calls all the time. Um, yeah, it, it, like it he, just was like a weird one to like die on this hill that like you can't like change the rules then and we'll look at it in the off season. But as the rules currently stand, that is an offensive offsides and you just can't do it. He's grasping at straws here. I think he's playing he he's playing his worst football. The team around him's on on the, on the offensive side is the worst it's been. His run game with Pacheco out is not as strong. His receivers are not good this year. Like say what you no. will about Juju Smith Schuster, he's better than everybody that they have on this team, and he he is sorely missed that kind of presence. Kelsey even is not at his best right now, so right. they're struggling offensively. And it wasn't like you know it was a shootout versus the Bills. Like that game went under. I hit that parlay. The game went right under, baby. Like you know, like so to me, Mahomes is grasping at straws. He's struggling a lot with a lot of things, and th- and this is what he's falling on, but. You know, people are on Twitter like he's just chucking it up and trying to get the calls. He's not even playing his best brand of football. He's not really even making that great of plays, and he's he's becoming a little too reliant, like you're saying, on the ref. So yeah, it's definitely disappointing to see him go that route. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, other takeaways. I mean, it's just wild that there are 13 combined teams that are six and seven or seven and six right now. Um, so the middle of the pack is very much Jake Browning. Hey. I, this is something that I didn't know, but I was listening to Peter Schrager talk about it. And he said that Browning, uh, he trained with Burrow the entire off season and was like, I've always tried as a backup to be ready so that when I got the opportunity, I could play my game. And he was like, and I just completely took a left turn and was like, I'm going to emulate Joe Burrow. And if he goes down, I will be ready to play exactly like Joe Burrow. And look, he's doing a pretty good job of, of subbing in for this team. And, um, you know, he's getting chase involved, which is great, which you have to do if you're the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, whether you're Joe Burrow or anyone else. And here we are all of a sudden that they're like, they're back in the mix. They might get into the playoffs and Mm -hmm. the rest of that roster is really good. So who knows what they could do? I wouldn't expect them to get to the AFC championship, but, um, good opportunity for this guy, Jake Browning, but yeah, they're just one of 13 teams, which is nuts. Yeah, I mean, look, when he was a sophomore, Browning was excellent at, at Washington. It's he went to the co- yeah. last time they went to the college football playoff was was, was with him, and then he kind of he just like rest in his you know it's similar to Brock Purdy, started off hot like a good young prospect, and as he progressed into his junior year, he fell fell off, and then his senior year, he really fell off, and he was an undrafted guy, 
But this yeah. is a guy that we've seen have success at the highest level of quarterback in college football. So I'm not blown away by him making the most of his opportunity. Yeah. But yes. That's a really good point that I didn't know that I'm glad you shared about Peter Schrager and Browning trading with Burrow in the offseason. And that's just, you know, good, a good, smart football mind. And now that he's going to get paid because of this, he, if he continues to play this way, either the Bengals will have to pay him to back up Burrow continue, to continue to back up Burrow or another team is going to be like, look, we're going to pay you serious backup money or potential starting money for like a stopgap player. Maybe. Yeah. And again, Zach Taylor is a really good offensive mind. He's got great, great weapons around him. So I think that helps a lot, but he's, he's executing and that's like, look, Brock Purdy, say what you will about it. Whoever's around him executing perfectly. All right. Yeah. We can wrap up there. Shout out to your boy from LSU, Jaden Daniels. I know people are up in arms that he won BS. He did it. He had a great season. <laughs> I don't he's care. If he lost. Yeah. yeah. His defense sucked. He had a great year. I was, I, I had been swayed to the Penix trade, but I, Penix train, but I cannot be mad that Jaden Daniels won. The, the one thing that I forgot, like, as I was considering just like who should win, throughout the season mm-hmm. was like Heisman candidates, they cannot afford to have one bad game during their, during their regular season. There's too few games. And guess what? Jane Daniels didn't have any bad games and Penix had, uh, who was it? Was it the Arizona state game where he had two picks, no touchdowns. And he's, he had a couple questionable games. Yeah. Not, he wasn't like a world beater. Like no. there was, even when I went to watch my USC, like they beat USC because they ran for two, one guy ran for 200 yards. So, and USC defense sucks. So terrible, terrible, terrible. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Fisher to stop us. DJ, Nikki snacks. Crowd will be back. Hit your free throws because they're free. And as you see, if you're watching down below, happy holidays. Peace. All right. I got to hop. Go. And now this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.